But no, I think she is, in fact, a modern-day prophet, essentially. Someone... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you all for tuning back again to our first episode of our themed month of season five. It's a very exciting Monday or whatever day you've joined us because, as Jackson said, we're here at the beginning of a themed month. It, we're on the cusp. In a few short weeks, we'll be on the other side, but between <laughs> then and now is a heck of a journey. There'll be scripts of a specific nature. There, and there will be four <laughs> scripts. Yes. Four scripts. <laughs> and that specific nature is monologue month. If you have been listening to us over the past couple of weeks, we've been kind of hinting that this is coming. Not kind of hinting, just out and out telling you. We've been overtly advertising, <laughs> yep. in fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the way. And this monologue month is going to be centered around one person plays. Plays. That is right. Yeah. So these are plays that only have one actor. Um, they're they're going to be a, in a variety of different ways to do a show with one actor. That's one of the things we look for in the scripts and some very, very popular one person shows today being a great example. And other day, other other weeks, they'll be less known one person shows, but equally excellent. Yes, yes. And and we'll get to kind of dig into like how some of the mechanics of it and some of the ways that um, this can sometimes only be done in a theatrical setting but in other times have been adapted to film and are interesting in that way too so so the the kind of interesting theatricality of the one person show as well as the really intricate stories that they managed to tell with just that one person Right, and today we're coming to as kind of the opening script, a script that a lot of people will recognize, uh, especially folks that are older than 30 years old. You'll for sure know the play if you've been, uh, you know, invested in the theater scene, the theater world at all. Um, but even younger folks have discovered the script as it's been revived, as the movie version has been shown and highlighted, as uh, film festivals have featured the main couple that created the show. Uh, uh, as the one of the main actress goes on to be in the very popular TV show nowadays. So it, it is it is prominent. It is important. It is the search for signs of intelligent life in the universe written by Jane Wagner and performed by Lily Tomlin, which I feel like you got to say both names. Right there. Yeah, absolutely. They, they're kind of synonymous. Uh, Lily Tomlin produced it and acted in it. And the show has its uh, staying power partially due to Lily Tomlin's portrayal of well, you're the... Right, and it was written for her. Right? Yeah. I mean, this isn't just a script that Jane Wagner wrote and then an actor someday later on picked up and was like, I'm going to do it. This is me. Like, Jane <laughs> Wagner and Lily Tomlin created this piece together. Jane Wagner's technically the playwright. Hers is the name that you see on our advertising and in our episode list and stuff like that. But Lily Tomlin, who you know was the actor for the show, is just as equally invested in the creation of this piece. 
Right. It's a huge 200-page script, over 200-page script that Lily Tomlin internalized. And at that point, like, you know that the relationship between the playwright and the actor has to be a fluid one. So they, 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 they brought this play about together out of their creative expression. And I'm excited to get to talk about it. But first, before we jump into the main, uh, main event of this uh, podcast, I want to take just a second and thank all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. You make this show happen. Those of you who are longtime listeners of the show know that we love to have these conversations. We love bringing these themed months to all of you and getting to talk to each other and to all of you out there in podcast land about plays. Um, alas, it's not free. There are a couple of costs associated with running a podcast, including hosting, time spent working on the podcast, as well as uh, the money for scripts to talk about. So if you are a longtime listener of the show or you just really dig what you hear today and you're looking to uh, join in and and help the uh, podcast continue going forward, head on over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. While you are over there, you'll see a number of different tiers of membership, and that lowest tier is just at $1. So just $1, that's $12 over the course of a year. We hope you're getting it around that out of, <laughs> of worth out of the podcast. So if you are looking to help out the podcast, that's an enormously helpful way to do it. So Head over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast, and we will see you over there. Yeah, and a big thank you again to everybody who's already supporting the show. And for those who aren't, hopefully the things that we do, like a themed month every season, are a reason why you would want to support a show like this. So uh, just again, big thank you and a big encouragement to everybody else. And now back to the script. Here we go. All right, so uh, themed month, for those of you who are new to us, doesn't change much in terms of the form of the episode, so we're still going to give you the kind of the basic context of the script, when it was produced, notable awards and productions and timelines and actors and things like that, then a basic summary of the script, and then we're going to talk through what we find in there. I'm sure that the the methods, the techniques, the structures of what we discover in a one-person script is going to be really different. This is a really specific example of a one-person show, but uh, what you're getting from us up front is not going to change much so as always here's the kind of the basic context surrounding the search for signs of intelligent life in the universe this script uh opened on broadway in 1985 again we've already summarized a little bit that lily tomlin and jane wagner created this thing really together they're a long time both creative collaborator couple and romantic partners. They've been together for a long time. Their relationship is featured on lots of uh, uh, interviews and and fun features that are coming out nowadays. In fact, um, in September of 2019, uh, film at Lincoln Center put on this sort of film review of their career together. Uh, it spans over 50 years. Uh, they called it Two Free Women, which is sort of an interesting title. And around that, there are tons of panel interviews with the two of them together discussing their relationship, their artistic collaboration and partnership. And it, the the script, as I understand it, is sort of born out of their desire to continually do more work together. Lily apparently was sort of a, a, a really vigorous performer who constantly wanted new material. And so Jane was constantly churning out new material material for her, including some series of kind of character monologues. They had originally started working together on a specific character for a show that Lily Tomlin was on in the time, and then out of that kind of work came character monologues, and eventually the series of character monologues that really make up this show. So 1985 opens on Broadway, 
391 performances on Broadway. It was a coast-to-coast phenomenon. People were crazy for it. People were seeing it night after night. It was on tour for a while. Lily Tomlin recounts that she would get up to perform and like the entire front row would all have umbrella hats on, which is a feature of a character in the script. I mean, it was wild when the thing came out. And... I just want to note that this ran for, like I said, 391 performances on Broadway. It opened in late September 85, closed in early October 86, which means over the course of about a year, little hair bit more than a year, but let's say a year, Lily Tomlin performed this show 391 times. I mean, wow, yeah. That is an absolute feat of athletic achievement, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. That's more than once a day over the course of a year. Now, yeah. you know, I'm sure someday she was doing two shows and she had days off and things like that. But that does not in any way detract from the magnificent achievement of being able to stand up to a performance schedule like that in a show that is, well, it's probably a two-hour show. Yeah. That is only her. Yeah. I mean, incredible feat of stamina. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so she goes on to, in 1991, working together, they create the feature film, which is sort of a mishmash showing of uh, the, the play set, you know, in film style, sort of set out in the world rather than on stage, but there is some morphing it back to the stage version of it to, to nod to that. But again, it's all Lily Tomlin. Uh, but in this case, she's in full costume. She's playing both characters in a scene via, you know, the magic of editing. Uh, so there's that version of it created. You can still find that one around today. Incredible. It was just shown the other year uh, across the country in a tour of films. And then in 2000, all the way through 2001, it was revived on Broadway. Um, that 1986 production won the Drama Desk Award for a unique theatrical experience, which is sort of an odd award, but just think <laughs> about some of the other notable winners of that one. No Man's Land by Harold Pinter won that award. Cirque du Soleil won that award. The Blue Man Group original stuff <laughs> won that award. Other notable nominees, The Laramie Project, which is a script we've talked about. And then, the, the, of course, Magnificent Script for Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide, which is a sort of combo dance choreography, uh, monologue sort of show. Um, so the the award has some real prestige behind it. It wins that in 1986. Also, 1986, Leigh Tomlin wins the Tony Award for Best Actress in a Play for her performance in this show. The 2000 revival on Broadway was nominated for Outstanding Revival for both a Tony and a Drama Desk Award. Whew. I mean, what? So yeah. <laughs> that is the rich and very full basic context of this script. Right, right. So as you can tell, a very important script to theater history and to our theater vernacular going forward. I'm going to do my best here before we start to synopsize this play. Um, it's it's a... There there was no short straw this time, right? No, I mean, it was, no. one of us had to do one of it and one of us had to do the other. Sometimes we go back and forth about who drew the short straw, but I don't think either of us envies the other. No, no, it's it's pretty pretty <laughs> exhaustive. Um, but <laughs> 
but because it's such a good show in both in both respects is that the reason why we're, we're quibbling about it is because it is so intricate on both levels so i'm gonna do my best here i'm gonna synopsize it the the person who ties all of these characters together the character that ties all these characters together that lily tomman plays in this play is trudy trudy is a uh, a homeless woman on the streets of new york um kind of downtown main main area of new york um and she uh welcomes us into the play with her um just kind of philosophizing about the world around her she uh, is is self-avowed a crazy person um she she uh, draws draws notice to that and and is pleasantly happy with her disconnect from reality and and what it allows her to to think around which includes a selection of things um she is having regular interviews with aliens for one thing who are here to kind of interview humanity they are they are in 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 some ways the the title of the play the search for signs of intelligent life in the universe the aliens are here looking at humanity and trudy is is um uh, happy to oblige she takes them around and and we hear through her monologues how um how she's traveled with them to like stonehenge and goes to a, a concert with them and goes to a play with them by the end of the play which is a pretty important beat um, so she's she's who we spend a lot of time with. The other characters, of which, on my count, there are 14 total characters in this play, total played characters, not to mention the ones that those characters play off of, all played by Lily Tomlin. Um, and how we get to those characters is Trudy has this kind of, uh, this like sixth sixth sense or an ability to tap into other people and experience their life in their brains and kind of watch what's happening to them. So uh, she says that she got this by way of when she had her mental break. She went through electroshock therapy and, and perhaps something got knocked loose in that. And uh, she's able to connect with all these people. And that's the mechanic by which we then experience all of these other people. Just I'm just going to name name them off here real quick. There is uh, Lily, the actress herself, who appears in, in a short scene and kind of thanks the audience and talks about that dynamic. Um... There's Judith, who is a uh, a saleswoman from home who sells uh, vibrators. Um, there is uh, Chrissy, who is uh, exercise-oriented, uh, really driven person, but who has no skills. She's uh, working around uh, being fired from her job recently and, and deals with the, the, the kind of... Uh, um, ramifications of that and the moves that she and the kind of fear that she has of what if she were to commit suicide someday these are i mean it's a wide variety of people as i continue through this list you will continue to tell that uh, there's paul who's a young divorcee who uh has uh, he's at the gym a lot and he wonders about his relationship to drugs and being at the gym amongst other plot oriented things um, there's Kate, who is a rich socialite. Uh, she has a couple, I believe two scenes, but two pretty pivotal scenes where she kind of ties together a lot of the pieces of the play. There's the young Agnes Angst, who is a punk rocker and just a fierce person. <laughs> um, and then her grandparents, Ludd and Marie. There's Tina and Brandy, who are prostitutes along the same street as uh, Trudy, friends of Trudy's. And then there is Lynn, who we spend a good amount of time with in the second part of the play. And uh, those other characters will have to forgive me for speeding through them, because Lynn is the other one that there's quite a bit of plot around. Lynn is a part of the Equal Rights Amendment movement. Um, she uh, she and her two friends, Marge and Edie, um, uh, have a lot of story in the later part of the play that uh, Trudy is checking into. She's We meet her as she is having a garage sale or a yard sale of all of her stuff. 
Uh, and uh, she starts to read her journal. And we go on a long journey with her of her friendship with Marge and Edie and uh, her marriage to uh, first her, her relationship that didn't work out. And then a relationship, a lesbian relationship with a character called Janet, who interestingly is also Agnes's mother. Um, and, uh, and then the eventual, uh, her, her meeting Bob, who is this kind of, uh, hippie, uh, uh, person who she meets and they have a pretty, uh, romantic relationship, two kids. And then eventually he cheats on her and they break up as a result of her, that him cheating on her and, uh, and, uh, and his complaints about her work life. That <laughs> other problems, <laughs> other problems, <laughs> Um, that storyline concludes, uh, and kind of, um, we, we see the friendships of Marge and Edie, uh, devolve or end as a result of, uh, Marge ends up, uh, just in relationship after relationship that doesn't work for her. Uh, one relationship that continues the, 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 her, her boyfriend continues to leave her and eventually she, uh, kills herself. And so, uh, Lynn and Edie have to carry that through the end of the play, which, uh, which is uh, interesting just to bookend it. They start with the Equal Rights Amendment and then end with uh, Geraldine Ferraro, who is the first woman to be nominated a vice president for a major political party. So, yeah. So the, the Lynn storyline covers like the earliest journal monologue that we get from her is 1970. And then this the present moment of that plot seen is at her garage sale, which is in 1985. Right. So it's about 15 years of Lynn's life that we follow. Yeah. Yep. Then we flash back to Trudy uh, for the end of the play, as well as Kate gets one more scene towards the end of the play where she uh, finds a... She's talking about how she's had this awakening. She's found a note that she carries around. And one of the one of the more poignant scenes, if you know this play, is her talking about this suicide note that she found on a street. And for some reason, she won't give it up. Um, she 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 wants to pay attention to this thing uh, for this person, even though she's never met this person before. And then the the play ends with Trudy. Uh, the the aliens leave. Um, <laughs> they have to go, they have to go somewhere else. And she um, and she is she uh, kind of uh, reads their note and sends us out of the play on on some more philosophy of hers. That's the that's the broad aspect of the play. That the kind of tricky parts that will suss out in conversation and that are fascinating to read and reread and rewatch are are the fact that almost all of these characters have some ley lines of connections to each other beyond just Trudy checking in psychically with their lives. They're all kind of interwoven in, in one or two ways, at least a piece and their stories intersect really interestingly in ways that kind of surprise you because they're out of order and they're all through Trudy's experience of them. And so that's, that's the, that's part of the joy of the play is finding those ley lines of connection. And it's interesting because how the play is laid out is that the first half of the show, I would imagine up through intermission, is unconnect what we think are unconnected character monologues. Individual stories uh, of fascinatingly unique personas and their views of life, what's going on in their lives, challenges that they are facing, stories that they tell. There's one segment of story that exists across a couple of scenes. That's the Agnes Angst and her grandparents' story. Um, that's a little bit longer than the rest, not just a single monologue. But other than that, what you see is sort of a sweep of humanity mostly women, uh, very interesting personas, lives, and stories. We come to Act 2, and 
virtually the entirety of Act 2, not quite all of it, but pretty much all of it, is this central story that surrounds Lynn and her friends and family. And as you say, we discover throughout the Lynn story, really, how all the other characters are connected back to her or have, have the, how their stories fit into somewhere in her life piece by piece. One example, Agnes Angst, uh, in the first part of the play, we see her as a late teenager, kicked out of her home, is a performance artist, and she says, my mother is a performance artist, but she lost custody of me uh, because she's a lesbian, and this was the latter half of the 20th century. Uh, she lost custody of me, so I live with my dad, who kicked me out, etc., when we come to Lynn's story in the second act, we meet Agnes as a very little girl, and we meet her mother, who I, off the top of my head I think is named Jane, who is the, the performance artist, the mother who lost custody of her, and we see a scene with young Agnes and Jane, her mother, and Lynn. And so we see how that story fits into the scope of Lynn's story. And reviews will sort of capture this by saying, you know, the play is a bunch of different stories about various people in their lives, and the second half really covers the scope of the women's rights movement. Um, and so even in those reviews, you see that there's a delineation somehow between the first half of the play and the second half of the play. And I think the thing that that kind of works against that 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 feeling of of like kind of dual almost like dualism between these two acts is Trudy. Trudy over and over kind of ties us back in and comments on what's happening and kind of has these these big old broad meta conversations she's having with herself and the aliens um, and and the people around her as well. There's a couple of times when she interacts uh, at least uh, off stage with with some of the people. Um, but but for the most part, she's the one knitting these storylines together into into one story across two acts, as opposed to like like you say the the uh, the kind of scattered scattered monologues in the beginning, story about the women's rights movement, and then yeah, then 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 if if that's your if that's your structure, you get to the end of the play and you're like, oh well, there's Trudy again, and the aliens are gone. Okay, but um. And even that, though, it, it does sort of differentiate between the two acts because in Act 1, the, the basic structure is we get a monologue from Trudy, we zap, in my script there's this sort of little zap buzzing yeah. icon that <laughs> signifies when she's zapped by these other people and takes on their personas. So Trudy monologue, zap, she becomes another person, does a character monologue, zap, back to Trudy, zap, new character, zap, back to Trudy, zap, new character, back and forth and back and forth. There's a couple smaller exceptions to that, but for the, for the most part, that is the structure of Act 1. Act 2, that happens a little bit at the beginning, but then for 40 pages maybe of my 200 page script it there's no zapping back to trudy she plays lynn frankly in what are fairly standard scenes as opposed to the rest of the play you know there's a scene with multiple characters often now a lot of you know obviously all the time lily tomlin is playing all those characters right uh, but there's multiple characters negotiating you know pushing off of each other figuring things out plot etc and then there's a stage direction <laughs> whoa <laughs> a stage direction that tells us what the new time frame what the new segment is where the new location is very much like any other play in the world right yeah, I I loved I loved the kind of journey you just went on of like these are very kind of normal scenes that are happening, except that one person is playing them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
because that's the magic of this is like you go on these on these like these scenes deep especially in act two these deep scenes that are not necessarily like i i think i'm i'm, I'm agreeing more the first scene is is just monologues like the characters are talking at usually at someone but the someone is invisible kind of like this 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 friend who's hearing them for the most and part she warms us up a little bit the agnes's grandparents they're both in a scene together right but in the way that, and I'll just say this is a stereotype, obviously, this is not how we really think about it, but this is the media stereotype of the world. In the way that old couples are presented as just one human, you know, right. it's a warm up. It's not, she's not playing like these really strong opposite characters that are, you know, going on all, all this stuff. It's like an old couple who you sort of see as one human, even though she's playing back and forth. Mm hmm. Versus Act Two, where she will move fluidly between the characters of the friends pretty quickly too, like without too much delineation. Just uh, uh, whether it's by by uh, kind of invisible prop use or or how she holds herself, she delineates between characters, and then also has kind of back and forth conversations occasionally with invisible people, um, where she she fluidly will uh, speak her her lines as well as the uh, description of what happens or into a phone with with the other character on the other end right and and that warm-up then broadens beyond the grandparents right we get this older couple just sort of back and forth lines they're in the same room they're watching the tv they're commenting on it and then she inserts agnes into that so now we've got three characters that she's playing and it really all sort of prepares you for these extended scene storytelling style that occupies much of the second act i mean the second act is very reminiscent of something like the heidi chronicles you know captures sort of a whole 15 years of a person's life uh in, in this case the character lynn she sort of of goes through the phases of the women's rights movement but there's a whole troop of people around her and uh, other than the journal scenes pretty much every scene involves multiple people negotiating fighting over objects using tactics to accomplish goals but it's all played by lily tomlin <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's awesome there's a couple scenes on youtube that are fun fun to watch like if, if you're having trouble visualizing as you're reading the play go and watch it because like like some of some of the the scenes in it, you can also rent it. It's on Amazon, um, and it was a, it was a good watch. But you can see how she moves fluidly between these characters with just like subtleties. That's the beauty of one person shows is it forces actors to have um, really subtle distinctions between characters, and that's part of the the fun magic of this play is is how how quickly and how fluidly she switches between characters and how you still follow it somehow magically. <laughs> And and there's some some incredible layering commentary that's done. One scene that I had the opportunity to watch, I couldn't tell if it was from 1985 or from the 2000 revival, but it is Lily Tomlin and it is the stage show, not the movie. And she is she's playing Lynn at this point, and Lynn is in a a counseling session um, about a, a relationship that's going south with her then boyfriend Peter. And I, I, I can't remember if the therapist suggests that she does this or she comes up with it on her own. But she's going to role play 
her and her boyfriend having a confrontation. So just to just to let us lay out where we are here, this is an <laughs> actor who's playing multiple characters, playing a character who's going to role play multiple characters. So you watch Lily Tomlin play a character playing someone else <laughs> and herself. And there's some lovely humor thrown in there where uh, Lynn gets sort of lost about who she's playing when she looks this direction or that direction, which, you know, is just the greatest tongue-in-cheek commentary on the fact yeah. that the whole thing is a one-person show <laughs> done in this style. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just skill, skillfully done. And, and while we're on this, this this branch of it, too, if you watch if uh, re- this branch of the conversation, if you watch it, it's also all married together with sound effects all over the place perfectly timed sound effects between the actor and the and the technicians and it just like fills out the world um yeah and and this is really fascinating because Jane Wagner and Lily Tomlin, as we've said, they've worked together much before this, and they created some comedy albums and some character monologue albums before the creation of this show. And so interviewers will ask them things like, well, you know, there's not much set, and there's no costuming in the stage show other than just what Lily Tomlin wears on stage, sort of a a blouse and slacks. Uh, But there is an incredibly huge sound design and soundscape. And they will talk about how that's sort of because... Their their history is in making comedy character albums. <laughs> and so that's what they had to work with was soundscapes. And that pretty much everybody on the tour stayed with the show except the sound people who they said they rotated through because they would burn them out. The work <laughs> is just so intense yeah. to keep up with the sound work on this show. Yeah, I, as I was watching it, I, I was just like imagining the cueing that needs to happen. <laughs> but I, either way you cut it, whether it's Lily Tomlin paying attention to the soundscape and knowing when she has to make the sound, or the more likely, I think the se- the sound technicians watching her movement to cue things at exactly the right time. It's astonishing. It's a, it's an astonishing feat of both acting awareness and technician <laughs> uh, execution. So so look for that too when you when you get to uh, watch this play. <laughs> So let's let's think for a moment about this sort of it's not quite it's dualist, right? It's not that the first act is so starkly different from the second act, but there's a significant difference in the structuring, the storytelling, what what kinds of things we're watching between the two acts. Why create the show that way? I mean, you could cut out the the show from basically Lynn's first monologue at the garage sale through when she comes back to the garage sale at the very end of that, whatever it is, 40 pages or whatever, and make that a stage show on its very own. You'd miss all the fun little connections to the monologue people we met in Act 1, but the story stands very much on its own. So why put that extended one story from beginning to end in the midst of a show that is otherwise more or less character monologues. Yeah, I mean, I, some of it is for for me anyway. It was it was watching, especially in the rereading of it. I think I felt this more the the second time through. Was you're seeing in the first act, so many of the consequences not not necessarily bad consequences in in that sense of the word, but the the necessary consequences of the actions of Lynn's story played out. In the world, you see some characters who who she she you know touched upon briefly, and it may be not it's it's maybe not always Lynn that is the character that that started the consequences for these characters, but the people Lynn interacted with did, and 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 so so it's this it's this fascinating way to tell the ends 
of the story prior to you finding out the beginning of the story and and watch how the lives uh, all centered around Lynn, the lives of the people around Lynn all affect like I think I guess most of my my thought around this is based around the character of Agnes Angst, who has this big, long performance art monologue. So she she actually carries quite a bit of weight in the second part of the or I'm sorry, in the first act of the play with this this big kind of crescendoing, you know, F the F the capitalist system. <laughs> monologue that she gives and uh and and some of that is is we figure out more about her story in act two so that's i think one of one of the aspects that kind of um interesting storytelling trope that that is being engaged is you see the endings before you see the beginnings yeah and and i think it it ends up expanding what is done in act one into act two into act two i'm sorry rather than differentiating from it i think what you said about figuring out how the characters in act one fit into the context of the story told in act two becomes some of the experience of the show and in sort of a beautiful way i mean if you stop the show at the end of act one you figured out a way to take the end of act two and the beautiful monologue about art and and soup and and stick that onto the end of act one so that you had a, a show beginning to end you could walk away saying that was one very funny laugh out loud fall over absolutely hilarious two what a great performance stellar she played all those characters awesome three that is a love letter to humanity we got to see lots of different people in lots of different situations how lovely and wasn't that trudy quirky and that's (laughs) great i mean that that's awesome it would be great that way but then when you see the extended show and you see these characters from act one and their stories who you felt like were standalone stories this is my tale and you see them plugged into someone else's life there's this like sense of the connectedness of people and there's a word and i cannot remember the word but it's like one of those things where people are like, there's a German word for this. Germans have words for everything. <laughs> right. And so like there's some kind of it's a word from a different language. It might be German word for like when you realize that like you're only one person living your story in the world of so many people who are equally living their stories alongside of you. That like, sense you, sense of how yeah. big or small you are. You're talking, you know about, the word? You're talking about Sonder, I think. Which Sonder. Is, okay, so yeah. it might be Sonder. Can't confirm. Which is a made-up that... word, but a part of a delightful series of YouTube videos about made-up words. <laughs> okay, so and so to me, when you see Act Two and you have lived that story after having lived the Act One story, that's become some of the sense of the show. One example: a character from Act One is Paul. Paul is the fitness guy at the gym. He has, as Jackson said, this sort of funny monologue about how he, he's at the gym trying to take care of his body, but he also takes a bunch of drugs. And there's, there's some controversy or there's some like hypocrisy there. And he tells this story about how why he's getting divorced from his wife is he cheated on his wife with this woman named Marge who woke up at the next morning and said, hey, my lesbian friends want to have a baby. Would you want to be a sperm donor? And he became the sperm donor, and he tells the story about how now, many years later, he just wonders about that kid, wonders where that kid is. He sees the kid, he sees this kid playing violin on TV, and he's like, is that my kid? It might be. I don't know. 
And that's a funny, edgy, interesting little story from a very weird human. Get right. a perspective, you know, you engage, very interesting. You can move on to another story after that. In Act 2, that story, you realize, is the story <laughs> of Lynn's friends. Uh-huh. They're the couple, and Lynn's friend Marge is the Marge from that story. And you say, whoa, that story of that guy and his perspective of the same events played alongside someone else's life and their perspective of those events and how those events impact other events in their life. All these people are living lives simultaneously and just sort of touchstone into each other right yeah no it's 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 and and you get to like for just a second become kind of become the aliens right yeah, right that, exactly <laughs> yeah. yes yeah you you zoom out you become the aliens looking for signs of intelligent life in the universe and you see these ping points of all these people and their interconnectedness and how special it all is that humanity operates in this way despite the fact that almost no one in humanity realizes that it operates this way the the zoomed out look at all the interconnectedness and how each little thing touches uh, each other's stories in in fascinating ways is is one of the, the cool revelations of this script and so in the midst of all this sort of beautiful, interesting story, connectedness is Trudy, right. <laughs> who is our, our guide, a, a funny, very funny character. Uh, she's, she, I think, I think uh, Jay Minor uses the term like a bag lady. You know, she like, she's got a cart. She's homeless. She is self-prescribed as crazy and there doesn't seem to be much good in trying to figure out in this play what is like quote unquote really going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like there's there's a, there's a little bit of energy to be to be spent around like is any of these characters Trudy? Like, are there aliens? Are there are aliens <laughs> around? Like, are we supposed right. to track her backstory and see how she? But no, I think she is in fact a modern day prophet, essentially someone. <laughs> <laughs> Someone who is, you know, at, at, at in, in touch with the greater forces and an outcast of society and thus has the clarity to, uh, to and the clarity and the courage to speak out these these philosophies of hers. And there's some benefit to her claiming the label of crazy at the beginning of the show because it lets you just sort of move on from that, you right? Because you could say, like, is she just insane? Like, she thinks she's, she doesn't think she is all these different people, but she like zaps into their brains and lives their life for a little while, and she thinks that there are these aliens that are watching it with her, like a television show, and there's just you just go whatever, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're rolling with it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, she's she's a great character and she has like so many like despite all that, right? Like there's there, there's plenty of moments of just like pure comedy in in Trudy that are that are just made made to kind of let the audience laugh quite a bit and, and yeah, catch up with what's it's going just on. Pretty close to stand up comedy. There's yeah. this whole sequence where she's got all these post it notes, and I think this actually happens twice. And she goes through like things that the aliens are learning about yeah. humanity and about other species, and it's basically just jokes. I mean, right. it's, it's just like a pretty standard stand up and reflect on jokes. 
But she also has this pretty compelling uh, theatrical beat in the play and an ongoing set of lines around she's trying to teach the aliens the difference between a can of soup and... Oh, I'm forgetting the artist's name. The Andy Warhol Thank painting, you. yeah, the, the, the Campbell soup. Yeah, so she's she's holding up the can of soup to them and saying, "This is soup," and then the Andy Warhol painting of the can of soup and saying, "This is art, art soup." And she'd switch them around and they get it wrong, and it's 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 a whole thing. It's a pretty comedic bit still, but it ends up being the, a a really kind of deep river that that flows under this play all the way to the end. Um, the description that she gives of the alien's kind of last encounter on Earth, which is at a play, is tied intricately into that analogy. Right, and it, uh, we probably, I don't know, we, we, we don't worry too much about giving it away, but man, if you've never read the script or, or seen even the show or the, the movie, you ought to just watch it for that beat. Yeah. So I, I think we should back off yeah, on we'll, giving we'll them exactly on how the metaphor works at the end of the show. But needless to say, there's a reflection on theater, on performance, on really any kind of art, and on really catharsis, although the word is never used, and why... A, groups of audiences coming together to see a show like this are important. In some ways, the end of the show becomes a reflection on why a show like The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe swept the nation. Why it became the crazed theater show, the Hamilton of 1985. Right, right. It's, It's something about that kind of communal contract that we all enter into when going to theater together, that we're going to engage a set of new ideas and see what it feels like together. And and the, and and that and, and that's true of any art. Um, there's another instance of art in in one of Lynn's flashbacks where she ends up getting accidentally lit on fire, and that's part of the same question too. That the performance artist, I, I think Janet is the name of the the performance artist, and she's she's trying to ask is what is people's reaction to this, and so so all of that is is tied into the the theme of the play as well. And so, as a one person show. The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe displays some characteristics that you would come to expect, and it'll be different from some of the ones we look at later. But one of the ones that is 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 true of a lot of one-person shows, and this is perhaps the best example of this, is that this is a show that is star-driven. This is Lily Tomlin and Jane Wagner's show. Right. Um, other one-person shows, like next week we're going to look at a, a script that's performed in theaters across the country by lots of different actors. Um, and then late in this month, we're looking at a show that is performed all over the world by lots of different <laughs> actors. But that's not this script. Yeah, no, this script is 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 kind of deeply tied into the, like you go, you you would have gone to this show to see Lily Tomlin in the search for intelligent life in the universe. Um, so, so, so there is that kind of old star system um, that's that's involved, like the touring show uh, that comes to town and the star that you know that you want to see. It doesn't really, you know, in the old system, it wouldn't really matter what show it was. You went to see the star. Um, in this case, it's a it's it's both of those together, right? Because of the creative partnership between Jane Wagner and Lily Tomlin, you're going to see both of them in effect even though it's only Lily Tomlin on stage and 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 the the way that you, you're you're going as a as a kind of excitedness about the persons uh, as well as the excitedness of the story you're going to consume yeah absolutely another feature of this script that's different from other one person shows we're going to look at is that this script has 
some tentacle ties to stand-up comedy. We talked a little bit about that, that there are portions of the show that are just kind of joke delivery. Um, and stand-up comedy as its own genre, as a genre of drama, it, the, the line between what is stand-up comedy and what is a one-person show is muddy and gray at very best. <laughs> It's true. It's true. And and there certainly like the scenes of Trudy or um what's the other one I'm thinking? I think I think there are some of Lynn's uh kind of parental moments that end up getting uh, uh delivered as just like kind of situationalish co- comedy moments of like the kids are whacking each other with uh martial arts weapons. Um <laughs> practice right. weapons. And so this script has taken that step beyond stand-up comedy in the sense that Lily Tomlin, other than just the the small little kind of self-referencing scene at the beginning, is not playing herself. She does not come on stage pretending to be Lily Tomlin. She doesn't come on stage uh, to tell jokes from her own life. Uh, this is a these are fictional characters, and she is taking on the persona of someone else and playing that character. And in that sense, it, the needle sways away from stand-up comedy into drama pretty pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah. There, you would be you would be hard put to say that it's just just comedy. But yeah, I agree that while the um, for, for the most part she's she's since she is stepping into these characters, there's the one scene where she is playing herself as the actress, but it's not for comedy in that scene. It's kind of a moment of of almost uh like um. Oh, oh, Brecht, a Brechtian moment of kind of shocking you out, re-engaging you into the into into the script. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's it certainly is full of comedy, but not not necessarily stand-up comedy all the time. And she's playing multiple characters at the same time, right? I mean, that's certainly not a feature of every one-person show in existence. This requires the actor to do the work of differentiating characters, playing off-stage focus, figuring out how people move and and adjust, how to show positioning of characters. Um, it's minimalist too, right? There's right. there's not called for elaborate sets or or props or costumes. Yeah, no, no. It, especially if you go and look at the recordings of it, uh, either the movie or, or or what have you, the 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 commitment to minimalism is complete. <laughs> um, I don't believe there is any held prop in in the production that I saw. Um, and and in and in general, like the, the the commitment of of the production and also Lily Tomlin to really precise physical mimed props. Um, is is astonishing and 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 really freeing then too. Like I think we will likely see that as a, a somewhat consistent theme, and or it, it is a theme in many one-person shows to have that freedom or a minimalism of props, prop usage throughout them, and, and it's because it it like we're already asking the audience in a one person show to think of this person as a different person every couple minutes or so you need to kind of, or every couple seconds, <laughs> every couple seconds, you need to like warm them up with that, with that, like, okay, imagine this can of soup. <laughs> now imagine I'm a different person. So, so there's the, there's that, that, that level of it too. And there's not so much, like narration in this script either. A lot of one person shows, are rooted in 
like first person present or third, I'm sorry, third person present tense narration, right? Like uh, a person might say, uh, he stands and walks to the dresser. And that he's that person would be narrating their own actions, or she climbs the diving board, looks down at the pool, decides whether or not she's going to jump, and, and that that is part of the minimalism, right? Is narrating the actions so that the physical and the the language parts of it can sort of combine in the audience's imagination. Now there's. There's some narration in this show, but it is very, very, very small. There are very small moments of it, and it's past tense. Exactly, and it's it's different. It's, it's storytelling. Like, I think of Lynn. Lynn probably has the most of those kind of narrator-ish moments, and it's always like she's telling the story of what happened to her. Um, and and uh, and and kind of lays out like the the fight between her and Bob. Um, she she kind of lays out what she did, what he did, but it's all in like this very present moment of her telling the story to us and 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 laying it out in a in a pretty visceral way. So it stays away from that kind of um, grand meta view narration, uh, which is I think what you're talking about in the in the the more removed kind of third person esque uh, narration of of other one person plays. Right, and so like, there are phone call scenes or um, scenes where, like we've said, where multiple characters come together in the same room, and there is no narration at the beginning to say things like, um, "Marge and Lynn come over for dinner that night, and we all sit in the living room, and then she goes into playing the characters." The scenes just begin and made a res. Uh, like the stage directions, I'm looking at it, this port in the script say, uh, telephone rings and she answers the phone call and then, uh, redialing and she answers the phone call again. And those are not actions that are given to us by a narrator. They're just actions that take place in the context of a scene. And so in that way, the, the, um, the use of multiple characters all in scenes together and the lack of narration would almost, if you had never seen the show, if you got a copy of the script that was just the words of the script and absolutely nothing else, might lead you to say, this isn't a one-person show. I should be casting all of these characters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The first reading of it, uh, I, I did the first reading of it without having watched it, without the first time, my first time having read it, re- having read it even having read it having read it, <laughs> read it having read it even and and my my conclusion was very similar like there's there's nothing really to lead you there's not an overabundance of stage directions in the script um i i knew that it that it was a one person show cuz i was reading it for monologue month but but i i agree that 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 would be an easy assumption to make that you need to have these characters talking to each other or something and credit really goes to Jane Wagner and Lily Tomlin then for the excellence that this script achieves because those are kind of the crutches on which one-person shows often lean. Uh, heavy narration, heavy use of props and costumes to distinguish between characters, and uh, stand-up comedy are really heavy crutches on which one person shows lean. And these two amazing women took all of those away 
and said, you're basically going to play regular old scenes for the second hour of this play, except that you're playing all the characters. <laughs> and there's no, nar- there's no narration to help you break up the lines. There's no narration to help you set the scene stage at the beginning. <laughs> scenes begin just like they would in any old regular psychological drama, except it's just you. <laughs> And that is an incredible task. It is. Yeah, no, it's absolutely incredible and and such a testament to the skill of both the writer and the actor to pull that off in in a way that has captured so many imaginations. <laughs> um we're we're coming along towards the end of our time, but we got to we got to touch on one more theme of this as well, which maybe even brings us back to uh some of our earlier questions around the kind of dualism of the play. Um this is this is fundamentally a, a woman's story as well. So many of the characters are women there's i believe there's only one played character who is a man and lily tomlin still plays that character so only one extended one there i off my top of my head there are three men that appear in the show uh the the paul who has the extended piece at the beginning obviously and then the grandpa oh grandpa and yeah, then yeah, yeah she does play lynn's husband bob for like one line oh sure yeah, yeah. play so I, there are those three men but they all of them are small parts, and Paul's really the only one that has any real stage time. Right, right. Yes, that, that's true. Uh, but but at the fundamental level, this is there is there's even a couple uh, instances of uh, when a character is saying history, they say her story. Um, for the most part, it's played for a laugh. But there's there are a couple in- instances of that as well, and I think that is. Uh, an important aspect of this play as well, and maybe shed some light on why so much of the second act is focused around Lynn's story around the Equal Rights Amendment and crescendos in the very powerful moment of Geraldine Ferraro being nominated as the vice presidential co- candidate. Is that this play is about uh, Jane Wagner and Lily Tomlin's kind of processing of that time of U.S. history and women's stories throughout that time in history, and 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 so so that 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 cannot be missed too in this conversation is we focus on uh, again by my count let's see twelve women's stories all played by one woman, um, and and their their perceptions their lives and and especially this is I feel like this these like little snapshots of life of each of these characters even down to the level of Judith and Kate. And and Chrissy, who we really only get one or two scenes with, and they're not super intricately connected to the meta plot that we're talking about. They are still like a valued members of this conversation and their stories are told. And I think that's one of the really important parts of this play as well is being sure that women's stories are told and told with subtlety, with uh, real comedy with unflinching presentation. I mean, this play, especially if you imagine this being the middle 80s and the movie in the early 90s, it talks about everything. Uh-huh. I mean, ta- there are women and various opinions on sex, uh, various opinions on motherhood, various opinions and perspectives and lived experiences of the work life for a woman at the time. I mean, they were absolutely unflinching and they they received a lot of criticism mm-hmm. from a lot of people about the fact that, you know, at the very early in the play, it's like either the first or second or maybe third character that she plays. That's not Trudy is uh, the vibrator saleswoman. Right. I mean, stuff like that garnered them a lot of criticism, but also 
was really part of the women's rights, women's liberation movement into art. I mean, we've said that the the play's last scene with Lynn is a 1985 scene, and this play comes out in 1985. So the way that this story is told is a continuation from that story. Right. It would, I would be so excited to go and see this play or have seen the revival of this play and been a part of that conversation in our in our modern light as well, because I believe I briefly read a preface or an or a, a, a epilogue or something like that that talks about the resonance of this play even it used now, but I think now would have been around the revival probably. And I would have been really uh, fascinated to see how they continued to bring out these themes and, and the, the, the focus on these, on these women's stories into the, the, the 20 years later or 25 years later of the revival production. And the willingness to, to, to include, and this is probably Jane Wagner's credit almost solely to include a huge variety of people in the show. Now, you know, Trudy gives her gives these aliens a a, a tour of mostly coastal Americans, right? Uh, and it's East Coast and West Coast, very coastal, uh, <laughs> very but, coastal, <laughs> very coastal show. That's my review. You know, uh, but but uh, given that that container of humanity, uh, it's a huge variety of people, and every single person is played for honesty and fair perspective and not they're not there to make fun of they're not there to laugh at no matter who it is and that is a huge credit as well because there are characters that Lily Tomlin plays that I am 100% sure Lily Tomlin and Jane Wagner do not agree with their perspectives their political opinions their even the stuff they say in the show and yet even that material is not presented or played for uh, mockery or dismissiveness. Yeah, yeah. Part of the, I mean, even more so than in a normal production, a normal air quotes production, a, a production that includes other actors in it, even more so it's on the actor to find the kernel of something you love about the character in a one person show and portray that to the best of your ability in the most honest way possible. Well, I think that's probably what we've got to cap our conversation off with. Uh, I, I just, I've loved this script for a long time. I, actually, I saw the movie as a young person, um, and I didn't encounter it again, the script then, for a long while, but it's so rich to come back to. It's it's a piece of really impactful drama. On, on the front of my copy of the script is a, a quote from reviewers that says that the script stands on its own as an important contribution to contemporary drama. And that is so true. And, and it's not one person shows I don't think really are what you think of when you think of theater. In fact, they're really what you think of when you think of like theater to make fun of. Like lots <laughs> of media will use like going to somebody's one person show in like a, a badly lit fourth story theater in New York as like sort of the classic make fun of theater joke. Right. Uh, but scripts like this show you why they're part of dramatic literature and the story of dramatic history yeah absolutely it's a it's an immensely impactful script both 
both in in the writing and in the watching of it. So if you have uh, watched it, if you have read it recently or at all and are looking for people to uh, have a conversation with about it, or hey, if you've been in this show, boy, do we want to talk to you. Um, <laughs> it was like... <laughs> Lily Tomlin. <laughs> Lily Tomlin or anyone who has taken on the, the book that is this show. We'd love to hear how that went for you. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at Podcast. That's the best way to get a hold of us. We also have a Gmail, noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on any of those sites. Write a comment to this uh, this link that you maybe clicked on, and we'd love to keep talking about the search for signs of intelligent life in the universe with you. We pick up next week with the second week of monologue month. Hope that you're excited because we are. Uh, if you want to recommend this show, monologue month is a great time to have somebody hop on. It's a themed month. You can jump into those conversations and hear about one person shows. Uh, you can send anybody that you're sending to us. You can send them to Podbean, to Apple Podcasts, to Google Play, or for most people, I think Spotify is the best place to find us if you've got a Spotify account. Otherwise, you can connect with us on Facebook. That's where you can see as with all of our social media, you can see an ad uh, the Wednesday before that tells you what script we're talking about on the coming Monday. And then on every Monday, there's a link posted on Facebook that you can just click on and listen to the episode there as well. So that's a great place to find us. Until next week of Monologue Month, I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you for listening to No Script, the podcast. Uh, bye bye <laughs>